Hi, everyone. Welcome back to our Veritas Women's Facebook Live. Today, we are doing our final teaching from our Bible study. The Bible study that, that got a little bit more creative because of the coronavirus. Um, but here we are, and we get to finish it, and I'm thankful for that. For the last couple of weeks, we have um, added these Tuesday and Thursday live events uh, to try and fight isolation and, and to help us finish our Bible study. Um, after today, uh, there won't be any more on the schedule. Um, I want to take some time and instead of just, just keep putting myself in front of a camera, running my mouth, I want to take some time and pray and consider what um, would be most helpful for us as Veritas women and beyond. Um, so just stay tuned to uh, our Instagram and our Facebook and our email, and we will let you know as far as uh, an intermediate study, possibly just some podcasts that will come out, um, and maybe even news on our summer study or what our plan is, but it's just too, too soon to tell. So if you are finishing this study, if you are now done with this study, um, some of our old studies are online through the website. If you haven't done all of those, you could go back and do that, but you can also reach out to me um, during this time. Well, if you are just joining us for the first time, then here's the quick. We have been, I have lots of ideas for how you can continue to stay in studying suffering because God wanted to show us in such a clever way how very sovereign and all-knowing he is. So we have been on a six-week study going through the Bible, looking for how the whole story of the Bible, the big story of the Bible, helps us in our pain. We use Romans 8 as our backbone, as our skeleton. We use Paul as our narrator, as he told us that our current situation, our current sufferings don't even compare with our future glory. And we've been working really hard to try and understand what does he mean by that? So today is week six, and we looked at what it means to be glorified with him. Last week, we were in the book of Mark. And it felt like a very climactic week as we saw the royal victor triumph over sin and death. As we saw Jesus enthroned on the cross, that suffering king initiating his kingdom. We saw Christ as a spotless lamb who crushed the snake under his foot. So I guess evil is over. Suffering has found its end, right? We are home. The way to rest is here. Or not. Because when I read my headlines today, I read that our country and our world are in a pandemic. I read that people are sick. I hear that people are anxious. I hear that people are losing their jobs. In fact, one of my friends works in the unemployment office, and she told me last week that she had 4,000 emails to go through. 4,000 people filing for unemployment in that one week. So what gives? I thought evil and suffering, I thought pain and loss was supposed to be over with. Why does this still feel like exile? Like, don't we know that Jesus is the climax of this story, this big story that we've been studying? Jesus is the climax of it. He is much of what the Old Testament has been pointing toward. But if you look at it, the story doesn't end there. This is where Jesus' death and resurrection is recorded, and there's still more of the story. In fact, in this remainder is where we find Paul, 
our narrator. This is where his story is. And, and if you recall, Paul's life was filled to the brim with suffering and persecution. Remember all the frustration and futility that filled his days, the sleepless nights, the shipwrecks, the persecution, the beatings, the stonings. So how do we make sense of this? Well, when we thumb through the remainder of this big story, we are reminded that we live in a time called the already, not yet. Jesus has already come. He has already defeated the serpent, but it's not yet fully realized. Or you could say the end has been written, but we have yet to fully experience it. And that's the tension we live in, right? We understand that we can live confidently because of the cross. So we can live claiming its promises for life and for salvation, but we have yet to shake the dust of this cursed world off of our heels. We have hope, but yet our lives are still filled with loss, sickness, or even just paper cuts and canker sores and fender benders. So ladies, what do we do? If this is where we're living, how do we suffer well? Well, just like in weeks previous, the simple answer is we look ahead or we look up. We hope, that's faith on tiptoe. We hope for what we cannot yet see, for what is to come. And specifically in our study this last week, we looked to Revelation. And as it came into view, it's important to understand this, as, as the scenes of Revelation came into view, we were not looking at it to decode like some mystery of when the end of the world is coming, right? We weren't crunching numbers and mapping things out so that we could know exactly when Jesus returns on that white horse. That's not what Revelation is really about. My friend Alex, who helped me so much with this week's teaching, she uh, likened Revelation to this. She's like, oh, Revelation is like the smell of my coffee in the morning. If I set my pot on auto and I wake up to the smell of coffee, even though I have yet to actually experience it, it gets me up in the morning. And I get that. I'm like, okay, so reading Revelation, even though we have not yet experienced what it describes, the smell of it, or just reading it is enough to get us up in the morning. I like that. So as we look at Revelation, guys, don't try and, and get in the weeds. Don't try and, and crunch all these numbers. But instead, for this time, let's just marvel at the descriptions of what our eyes cannot yet see. And that's our glorious future. That's a term we've been using, our glorious future. What comes to mind? I think many of you, if this room was actually filled with my friends, we would say, oh, that's when there's no more tears. That's when there's no more pain. And I think we would be right. But then after that statement, I feel like we kind of just like um, mumble things about heaven. Like we mumble things about, oh, the streets are made with gold and their gates are made with pearls or Jesus has this sick tattoo on his leg. But beyond that, I think that many of us find heaven to be pretty mysterious, pretty unknown. And in that same way, we've also been talking about this idea of union with Christ throughout this whole study. 
And I think if we're honest, we would also say that that seems pretty mysterious to us. We're actually looking at Romans 8, 17, where it says this really big statement. It says, if indeed we suffer with him, Christ, so that we may also be glorified with him. It's one of the many verses that speaks of union with Christ. This idea of Christ identifies with us, he partners with us, so that what is true of him will be true of us, if not now, then one day. But let's be really honest, it's the end of the study, and I still don't know if I get it. I find union with Christ to be kind of tricky, just like I find revelation to be tricky, uh, just like I find teaching on suffering to be tricky, just like I find being quarantined um, with three young active boys to be tricky. But what the heck, guys, it's our final week. Let's go for it one more time. Let's see, one more time, could we try and grasp this idea of union with Christ and see if it holds within it something that will help us to suffer well? So to get a vision of what this union with Christ is, I want us to zoom in on Revelation. I want us to zoom in on one of the many images that John describes. He describes a wedding, the wedding of the Lamb. Because if you think about it, nothing displays union more than a wedding. So here's a couple of verses that John records. Revelation 19.7 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him the glory. So you feel this excitement. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. In chapter 21, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and earth had passed away and the sea was no more. So pause, we're hearing about newness and we see that the sea was no more. That meaning there's no more chaos. So far, so good. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And a couple verses later, he says, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. All right, guys, let's look at this scene, the scene of a wedding between the lamb and its bride. I think that by looking at this, we are going to connect a couple more dots, what we've been doing for this whole study. And I think we will inhale such a deep assurance of God's love for us that it will help us to find help in our time of need a deep assurance that will help us to suffer well. Okay, let's start first with the bride. Let's take a look at the bride. Okay, so what we need to know is that we are the bride. Those of us who are in Christ, we are the bride, the church. So it's important to understand when we're imagining the scene, it can't just be about us. We can't just picture us by ourselves as the bride. No, this is a corporate bride. This is the the little seed church. So not even just Veritas, not even just the churches of Iowa City, but this is God's bigger church. That is his bride. And here's what I see through these verses in Revelation. Three things I see about her. One, she's beautiful. Maybe you see that coming. That fits, right? Well, look at some of these descriptions. What is she wearing? In Revelation 19, it says that it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Isaiah also kind of uh, describes her in the same way. He says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God. So you feel this like festive celebratory feel. 
He says, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and wrapped me in a robe of righteousness as a groom wears a priestly headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. This bride is pure and she's radiant. And you kind of get this idea that somebody else has dressed her. Somebody else was in charge of dressing her. And that kind of reminds me even of other times in this walk through the Bible that we've picked up on that. When God clothed Adam and Eve, or even how we felt like the Holy Spirit like clothed David in power as he fought Goliath. But on a personal level, I really get that. I look better when other people dress me. Absolutely. I am in this church full of people who are actually a lot younger than me. And the staff women, when they give me input on what I'm wearing, I look better. Absolutely. I know to ask people about my outfit before I walk out the door. It's just, it's just a fact. I look better when other people clothe me. Maybe there's something there with the bride of Christ as well. But guys, it's not just that she's beautiful. There's more than that. She's more than just beautiful, according to this text. She's glorious. In fact, I would say that this bride looks like a royal priest. Recall the description that we looked at in Exodus 28, when Moses, he he went into such detail to tell us about the outfits of the priests, especially the high priests. They were dressed elegantly. They were dressed for splendor and glory. They wore fine fabrics and jewels. They had headpieces. They were dressed for splendor and glory. And if you did your homework this week, you were also taken to these other places in Revelation where we see the children of God or the people of God in Revelation. They are reigning and they are serving. They are ruling. They are exercising authority for God. Does that take you back to the start of the Bible once again? Here we are at the end of Revelation, but we're hearing Genesis 1 and 2. The same job description that was given to Adam and Eve is here, present for the people of God. She sounds like a royal priest. But guys, she's more than just beautiful, and she's more than just exuding glory. I would say that she actually looks like Christ here. Now hold on, that's super weird. Am I saying that the bride and the groom look alike. (laughs) Nobody wants to marry their sister, and it kind of sounds like that's what I'm saying. Have you ever thought, you ever seen a couple that looks alike, and in a brief moment, hopefully just inside your head, you're like, that's kind of weird. That's, that's kind of at first what this sounds like when I'm saying that this bride looks like her groom, but it's not really about that. It's more about the splendor and the glory of the groom is matching the bride. What I'm saying is in this moment, you would see a breathtaking couple. You would see a couple whose beauty matched one another, whose glory was nothing short of breathtaking. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, we learned this week that uh, we all reflect the glory of the Lord, that we reflect his glory and that we're being transformed into his image with intensifying glory which comes from the Lord. Ladies, as we grow, we begin to look more like Christ. So this good news in Revelation is actually breaking into our reality right now. 
that the longer we are in Christ, the longer we are walking with Christ, the more that we will look like him, the more that we will be transformed into his image. And there again, into his image? Doesn't that sound like we're pulling us back to where we started this study? Genesis 1 and 2, we read that God's children were made to bear the image of God. That means to reflect him, to reflect his glory and his beauty and his goodness to the world. But we remember that sin came in and fractured the ability to reflect his goodness. But at this wedding, it seems like something has happened because it seems like at this moment, at this wedding, the bride is finally fulfilling her job description to bear the image of God. So we have to stop and ask the question, how? How is this possible? How is this description of the bride even possible? How did she become so beautiful? How did she become so glorious? How did she transform to look like Christ? Because not to sound overly negative, but when I look out at the church right now, I wouldn't say that that's always true. Not on a bad day, not in a bad light. I often see aspects of the church that are full of compromise and sin. Or maybe I just need to make it more personal and say, when I look in the mirror, if I'm saying that I am part of the bride of Christ and I look in the mirror, guys, what do I see? I see a stubborn heart. I see bad habits that just won't die. I see self-righteousness. I see a quick tongue. And I have to sit there in this moment and say, how am I ever going to become this beautiful, glorious, image-bearing bride that I see in Revelation? I think our answer will come when we turn our attention to the groom. Let's make some observations about the groom now. Who is he? Well, starting with what we read in 21-2, it seems like this, this groom is the son of God. There's that phrase that we got from the book of Mark last week. It sounds like God is presenting a bride to his son. So the groom is Christ, the beloved son that we have marched through all of scripture with, and he is ready to receive a bride. Christ, who shared in our nature and took on the image of man. But more than that, he became a man. Why? So that he could serve as the Passover lamb. See, in Revelation, when John talks of the lamb, he says that he sees him covered in blood. He speaks of the lamb all the time, but he says that he's covered in blood, and it's the lamb's own blood. Elsewhere, he, he speaks of the Son of God, and he says that he is in these white robes, but they're dipped in blood. So we're connecting the dots as we have been um, marching through the story of the Bible. We see that this Son of God took on the image of man that he might serve as the sacrificial lamb. And as he served as the sacrificial lamb, that image of man, even that became so marred. Isaiah says his appearance was disfigured beyond that of any man. His form was marred beyond human likeness. This groom is the lamb who was sacrificed to cover our sins. But more than that, ladies, 
as he was slaughtered as a lamb, the paradox of the story was displayed. This, this paradox that we've been trying to understand that the Bible tells us that over and over again, suffering comes through victory. And ultimately, our victory comes through suffering. Through his humiliation came his exaltation. On that cross, the lamb was actually enthroned as the royal victor, crushing the head of the serpent. Now guys, we have to stop here and and pause and make sure that we're not just trying to finish a study. We're not just trying to learn facts or connect dots in biblical theology. Because we need to pause here and make sure that this story is hitting us where it counts. Let me ask this question. With all this wedding and, and celebratory and feasting talk, are you surprised that Jesus is so often spoken of as the lamb? Don't you kind of feel like we should be done with kind of this humiliating, weak, meek lamb talk? Don't you feel like now is the time for the strong victor, the strong king talk? But again, the word lamb is used on repeat in Revelation. Once again, we see this upside down nature of the kingdom of God. From weakness comes strength. Paul would even say that he boasts in his weakness. He says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And this is where we have to let it actually apply to our lives, ladies. Even if that's common language to us, don't brush it off. What would it actually look like for you to rejoice in your weakness? What would it look like for you right now to kiss the wave that throws you against the rock of ages? Wish I could remember who said that quote. Definitely not me, Spurgeon. Mm, looking for the tech guys, Spurgeon. I really need to give credit. No, they don't know, okay. What would it look like for you right now in this current season of life for you to boast in your weakness, to rejoice in it? Guys, we don't need a pandemic to ask this question. We had plenty of material at the start of this study when we had to put words to our sufferings, our losses, our frustrations. What would it look like to lean into those weaknesses that they might become a place for God's strength to shine? Well, what is it that you're doing if you're not rejoicing in them? I think we despise them, right? Don't we despise the things that hurt us? Don't we so often despise the things that inconvenience, inconvenience us or make us feel insecure? How often do we just feel bad for ourselves? Sit in a pity party. How often do we get stuck in them? We just get stuck. We just get comfortable in our weaknesses and in our sufferings where Paul and the book of Revelation is encouraging us to instead lean in, rejoice, even boast. What would it look like for you today? Don't let yourself miss this opportunity to change your attitude, to change your posture so that you might kiss the wave, lean into it, embrace the weakness, the discomfort, the fear. Let it draw you near to God. Let's get back to the groom, though. We see this son of 
the Son of God who became a man, who became a lamb, who became a royal victor, but even more than that, because that, slam, that slain lamb rose again, defying death. He didn't stay dead. He overcame sin and death. And, and for a short period of time, he still walked around the earth, housing the glory of God like a, a point of intersection between heaven and earth, like a tabernacle. He walked around in the very nature of God, and he built his church. And as he built his church, he invited them to be in union with him. He invited them to bear his image, to follow him, and even to share in his sufferings. Now, it's really important for us to understand that when Christ invited us to share in his sufferings, to follow him to a cross, that does not mean that he enjoys watching his bride suffer. Not at all. It does not mean that he enjoys her pain or her abuse. Not at all. But it does mean that he is promising to make it all worth it. Let's keep asking the question, what does that mean? How could it possibly be worth it? So here we are at this wedding. We are at this celebration of union, and we see a bride who is readied and beautiful, and she's living fully on mission as a priest of heaven. And it's almost like you could see her walking down the aisle as the new city is coming down out of heaven. And here she is, and we read that she's unveiled, that her, her purity is beaming with radiance. And here's the best part, guys. So often in our world, when we think of weddings, we think that everybody is just glued on looking at the bride because she's so beautiful. But I can't help but turn my attention here to the groom. Because I believe that in that moment, the reason there's celebration and rejoicing is because the church, the bride, is glued on the groom. The church, you and I, in that moment, will see our groom. We will see Christ unhindered. We will see him as he is. We will see him face to face. And guys, that nearness and that moment and that intimacy, that closeness, that is what we long for. That is absolutely the greatest desire and the greatest need of our hearts and of our souls. We feel the nearness of God now on a lesser scale. I mean, think about it. Even right now in this quarantine, don't we long to see the people that we love face to face? And we've got FaceTime and we've got all these apps and we've got Zoom calls, but they just don't quite cut it, do they? They don't quite take that, that hunger away that we desire to see the people that we love face to face. We desire that intimacy. How much more true will that be with Christ? Yes, we can see Christ through his word and we can experience him through the Holy Spirit. We see him even in creation. We see him in other image bearers. But on this day, at our wedding, we will see him. No veil limiting or obstructing our view. He will be there, and we will see him as he is, face to face. And in that moment, I think that the bride, that you and I, we will get it. As we behold our groom and our God, it will become so clear to us that our sufferings were worth it. 
every pain, every loss, every depressed year, every anxious night, all of them were recycled for good. Because all of those sufferings prepared her for this moment to stand before the throne, conformed to the image of her Savior, known and chosen by her God, and she has become holy. She has become glorious, and she has become like Christ. Why? Because she shared in his sufferings. She took all of those sufferings, the discomforts and the annoyances and the severe losses, she took them for his sake. And because of that, she now gets to share in his glory. And in that moment, she can see it so clearly. The bride, the church, me, you, she gets it. See, not only is she so convinced that her pain has brought her good, but in that moment, she even realizes that in this moment of complete union with Christ, the former things are not even remembered. All of the sad things have indeed become untrue in that moment. There is no condemnation in that moment. There is no fear. There is no tears. There is just confidence and assurance. She is sure that he loves her. In that moment, she knows that Christ loves his church. And because of this moment, all of her sufferings were worth it. And perhaps at this moment in the wedding, as the groom ushers his bride into her new and forever home, he wipes away her final tear. Death is no more. Ladies, in this moment, God is with his children as Christ is in perfect union with his church and all things are made new. Nothing, nothing can separate this bride from the love of Christ. And this is our assurance today. This is what we long for. The story of the Bible, it ends with a wedding. It ends with a feast and a party. And we are the fortunate bride of Christ. One day, very soon, we will be brought before him and we will dwell with God. So until then, we just have to hope for what we cannot yet see. We hope for it on tiptoes. We scan the horizon. We scan our Bibles for Jesus. Would you pray with me as I pray a lyric, the lyrics to one of my favorite songs as we close this study? Father, thank you for this invitation to turn our eyes upon Jesus, to look full in his wonderful face. And Lord, would the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and your grace. Amen.